This week's episode is brought to you by Ward Disley's 100% True Life Action Adventure Comics by the world-famous Dave Ensign. Pick up your copies today at BambooForcePublishing.com. Welcome to Season 3! Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. How's everybody doing today? How you doing, George? Oh, me? I thought it was going to be rhetorical. No, no, no. I specifically pointed out you when I said, how you doing? Well, you did, but it's just, that's like, usually it's the audience. And it's just, we, it confuses we, you, I know, sometimes. I like does. to mix things up a little bit. If, if we jump off script. We jump, uh, yeah, we usually have a very rigid script that we stick to word for <laughs> word. Like right now, I'm literally reading every word that I'm saying right now <laughs> off of the script because I Except, knew we're having this conversation. Yes, yes, it's, just, it's 100% banter free. Yes, so. yes, this is all legit scripted by a team of monkeys Yes, yes, it is by a team of monkeys with typewriters, and and we will acknowledge their copyright at the end of the episode. Yes, for it. Yes, we will. All right, that's what we do. So, should we jump into the history segment? I guess so. Okay, let's do it. It's time for Disney history. Now, kind of like how some of our conversations go all over the place, Disneyland has many, many winding waterways uh, throughout the park. You know, from the Rivers of America, to the Jungle Cruise, to the Storybook Land Canal Boats, and more. The water just flows through Disneyland, kind of like a river of time. And what's amazing is that many people are unaware that pretty much all of it is part of Disneyland's Big River. Uh, which is a system of water that is a, that has this in, uninterrupted flow, and it travels all around Frontierland, through Adventureland, through Fantasyland. You know, it winds through Tomorrowland, and we don't think many people know uh, of the true length of this big river, river system, or that it was actually follows the same waterways for the most part since the park existed since uh, 1955. So you can imagine actually riding this big river system uh, like it was an attraction and visiting all the points it takes you within the park. Uh, the spring 1994 edition of the E-Ticket magazine actually did this. And we're going to take you on that same journey now so you can get an idea of just how large it actually is. The river, not the E-Ticket magazine. Though it is pretty it's, large. If it was large, we wouldn't be able to read it. But anyway, large and in charge. Marge. <laughs> tell them Marge sent you. Um, uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. So it's You're making Pee-wee references. Very large. Yeah, I was making Pee-wee Herman references. Okay. And, you know, this this river, it's large and very integral to keeping Disneyland running. Um, because even though Disneyland itself is constantly changing, with rides being refurbished and things being added, in the pipes beneath our feet as we walk, this water circulation system has remained in place through the decades. Now, Disneyland actually has two kinds of water thrown through the park. Uh, the first is the dark water system, uh, which has nothing to do with the recent Doctor Who episode, and yeah. the clear water system. Now, clear water is what you find in the indoor boat rides like Pirates or It's a Small World, and in rides that use water to slow down the ride vehicles like the Matterhorn and Big Thunder, and in the Finding Nemo Submarine Voyage Lagoon, where people actually have to view things underwater. Uh, the dark water is everywhere else, like uh, in the rivers of America, and it kind of provides a little bit of scenic beauty to the park itself. 
Clear water systems are closed, contained within their individual attractions, since they need to remain clear for people to be able to see through them. The dark water system, on the other hand, is interconnected and flows throughout the park. Over the years, attractions have been altered or removed along its banks, but the general shape and scope of Disneyland's Big River is unchanged. Now, if we were to ride the Big River system, it would begin with a 2 million gallons a day that are drawn from the low point at the back of the Rivers of America, about 100 feet in front of the moose you see while traveling on the Mark Twain or the Columbia. And from there, the dark water is pumped and elevated to a point behind Storbuck Land, which is approximately 15 feet above its start. Uh, there it can be diverted or shared with the motorboat pond in Tomorrowland, or it can go along its way elsewhere. Okay, so we proceed into and around Storybook Land, entering from behind the Casey Jr. Circus Train, just below Cinderella Castle on the hill. And after enjoying the miniature sights of other Disney locations, the current, uh, it carries us into the nearby motorboat lagoon. We follow the route of the former motorboat location beneath the Autopia. Um, our final view of Tomorrowland as we enter the subterranean channel would be the Autopia overpass and the seawall which separates the motorboat pond from the clear water in the submarine lagoon. Now, the route underground takes us beneath the walkway, which curves along uh, the Tomorrowland side of the Matterhorn, in the direction of the hub and of Fantasyland. And then we resurface in part of the, uh, the moat in front of Sleeping Beauty Castle, and after drifting underneath the wooden footbridge on the east side of the castle, near the Snow White Fountain. Um, nearby is Pixie Hollow, the old location of the uh, Monsanto House of the Future, which uses the Tomorrowland Clearwater system. From there, we are carried beneath the drawbridge. While the flow of water is deceptively gentle and gives the appearance of still water, in reality, the current is taking us westward into Carnation River, a twisting stream lined with sculptured rock and flowering plants, wooden fencing, and footbridges. Not far ahead loom log walls, the gateway to Frontierland. Now, a steady flow of people stroll th across this wooden area over the green depths of the timberline stream, but most hurry through the gates toward their next adventure. But those who stop and look down at the water, it kind of gives us illusion of a mountain stream with reeds and cattails flourishing beneath the tall pine trees, and it really works well considering there's a medieval castle just across the plaza. So Adventureland comes next, flowing under the bridge at the entrance. A uh, few guests moving toward the sounds of jungle drums and bird calls notice the flow of water down a narrow channel along the front of the Enchanted Tiki Room and what is now the Aladdin's Oasis. Our personal river ride gains speed as we cascade down into the lush and tropical jungle rivers of the world. Now, the water flows from there into the Jungle Cruise, where any skipper worth his salt will tell you that the waters from the Amazon, uh, Egypt's Nile River, and many more come together. And of course, we know it's a lot more water than that at this point. But once we're in the elephant bathing pool, we go underground again through a 37-inch mouth pipe leading from Adventureland near the base of the Swish Family Treehouse, emerging into the largest stretch of the Disneyland Dark Water System, Frontierland's Rivers of America. This part of the journey has changed the most over the years for the dark water system. In the early years of Disneyland, Adventureland's river connection was apparent, flowing visibly beneath the original footbridge near the Swift's Chicken Plantation restaurant. Guests were even encouraged to catch fish from the big river along Tom Sawyer Island. The mine train through nature's wonderland shared its bear country and beaver valley streams with the big river. Now, only the roaring waterfalls of Cascade Peak remain, pouring over abandoned mine tracks and down into the river. 
Now, as we get to the Indian village, where the, the journey itself is at its end, and it's about to begin once again. Now, being able to ride that mile and a half waterway would be great, but it's not exactly done in, in the linear way that we kind of implied. It's really just a circulation system that is designed to fill and drain and really maintain the optimal water levels. And that's all done using a series of pumps and valves throughout the park itself. And the big river averages at least... Uh, 10 million gallons in, in volume every day, and keeping these quantities in balance is pretty complex. Yeah, so, so there are many factors, such as flooding on rainy days and evaporation in hot weather, uh, like when the rivers lose as much as 30,000 gallons a day in the heat, you know, that can have dramatic impact on the larger parts of the system. Their levels are measured in inches throughout the park and are constantly monitored and adjusted. One of the waterway's deepest spots, for instance, is in Frontierlands River at a level of 5 foot 5 inches. If a heavy rain causes water to accumulate around Frontierland and flood the rivers of America to a depth of 5 foot 10 inches, it will raise the Mark Twain to a level where it can't be operated. Now, water levels are watched closely and lowered when necessary from the valves at Fowler's Harbor and near the keelboat landing. And the river must be checked regu regularly for turbidity, uh, a lack of clarity caused in real rivers by uh, sediment and impurities. Uh, at Disneyland, this murkiness is desirable, actually, and it's achieved with either brown or green dye. And it takes about 12 pounds of the stuff and about three days to properly shade the big river so that guests are unable to see the ride tracks and other equipment just beneath the surface. Mm, we should put a spoiler alert there. We should. Sorry for ruining that magic, kids. Well, they can rewind it and stop. <laughs> That was my rewind sound. There. Not bad. Good. Okay, so when this waterway was first constructed in 1955, over 55,000 cubic yards of earth were excavated to form the various riverbeds. After much experimentation, a combination of clay and earth was struck from the Los Angeles River Basin and used to line the river bottoms. In the course of refurbishing Frontierland over the years, the rivers of America has been lined with concrete. But the Jungle River in Adventureland still leaks slightly, returning water to Anaheim's water table. Disneyland's various clear water systems are refilled as needed from domestic pipelines. The dark water system is augmented from Disneyland's well number one from a depth of 137 feet and 4 inches located behind the berm near Big Thunder Ranch. Now, the park's use of and recirculation of water is remarkably efficient. They currently use less water at Disneyland than was used to irrigate the orange groves that previously were on the property. And when it's necessary to discharge a large volume of water, like after a rain or when closing a river ride, arrangements are made with the local authorities. Now, all the water release, uh, releases are monitored and certified environmentally safe by the city before it ever happens. Uh, the Big River 25 horsepower main circulating pump is concealed within Frontierland's rockwork near the original uh, Pack Mule Ride uh, Trail. And this is the lowest point in the dark water system. And from here, the water must be elevated 15 feet through a 21-inch concrete pipe to a point behind Storybook Land in Fantasyland. The river operates using gravity flow at a constant rate throughout, but some parts of the system, like Carnation River and the Castle Moat, are at levels where the water must be pumped in or pumped out as needed. Circulation of dark water and control of levels during rehab may require specialized water pumps in place around the park. Fowler's Harbor is an example of this, you know, when the Columbia or the Mark Twain are dry docked, and so are the many waterfalls which have individual pumping devices. 
Now, many valves retain or release water flow depending on what must be accomplished. Uh, major valves are used to diver divert water between Storybook Land and Tomorrowland at the top of the system, with lesser valves uh, to permit a bypass flow directly to Frontierland and other points along the river. And the entire system was designed so skillfully that it is kind of accepted as, a, as natural, and it's pretty much unnoticed by the millions of guests who visit Disneyland every day. Now, here at Communicore Weekly, I'm pretty sure we're the only people in the world who can do an entire podcast segment devoted directly to the water of Disneyland and still make it sound vaguely interesting. <laughs> what do you say, well, George? I hope we made it sound vaguely interesting. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's it's like a technical marvel how much work actually goes into just the water of, of oh, Disneyland. Yeah. yeah, totally, totally. And and to see it on that scale where you don't even notice a lot of it and what they do with it. I do know once, uh, I think it was on the Communitor, didn't they tell us that dark water and clear water should never be mixed? It'll be the, it'll disrupt the space-time continuum? I'm, I'm pretty sure they said that. That was right after they said don't cross the streams, right? I think that's where it was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. We'll okay. have to ask our, our guides, Dean and Natalia. I'll send them an yeah. email, see if they remember they were awesome and of course they'll probably ignore it like always yeah usually probably oh, that's probably. okay that's okay well if you have any questions or thoughts about water or the big river at disneyland call the communicore weekly goat line and leave us a message it's 424-785-4628 424-785-GOAT he's a nerd he's a geek but we all like to hear him speak so listen up to the words from his speech it's george's book of the week this week's book is Stitching Snow by R.C. Lewis. And this book showed up uh, in both of our mailboxes a couple months ago as an uncorrected advance proof. And basically what that means, this is a book that they'll send out to reviewers very, very, very early to get feedback and to see what's going on with it. Um, there could be some changes. There could be some uh, issues with the book itself. So just in case what you hear in our review doesn't match up with the book that you bought, that's why. That was a very long caveat that I had to get it there. It was a very long caveat. That was a very long caveat. So Okay, so basically with the title Stitching Snow, you sort of get the idea that this is going to be about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And the stitching part was what I didn't get at first. I was like, wait a minute, I'm not into cross-stitching. Not there's anything wrong with that. Not at all. Is that really what you thought? <laughs> well, the first time I grabbed it, it's like stitching snow. Oh, jeez. You know, and I was like, okay, I have no idea. But once you get into it, uh, this is sort of a futuristic sci-fi retelling of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And I, I and guess that's really the only way you can describe it. Yeah, but there's a lot more going on in this book. And even though the cover's kind of girly, and it's obviously, you know, aimed at the teen and tween female audience i loved it i thought it was fantastic yeah yeah i mean i enjoyed it it came and we we're both like eh, i don't know we're, we were definitely judging a book by its cover that's you know goes without <laughs> saying and then we i remember i sat down and read it and like the first 20 pages i was like i don't know how this is gonna go and then the next thing i knew like i couldn't put it down because it was so mm -hmm. engaging and so engrossing and it tells the story kind of of snow white but it tells it in a completely different way, and it takes place in outer space with different planets, and, and the seven dwarfs are actually seven robots, and it's just very clever, and it has mm -hmm. a, I guess the only really good way to describe it, or sort of, is like Snow White meets Star Wars, sort of? Yeah, I guess that's a good way. I mean, because her, the, the, her character, her name is Essie, and she lives on sort of like a mining planet, 
and she repairs the drones, her seven drones that she's got, and they each have a personality, which really added a lot to the book. I was surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At how much emotion these emotionless drones <laughs> added to the book. And so she's been existing on this planet that's mostly filled with miners and men, and it's very rough, tough living. And then there's a plane crash. A uh, not a plane, a well, spaceship, spaceship crashed. Spaceship, not a plane, yeah, a spaceship crashed. And so we meet this guy, Dane, who she's like, wow, this guy's really, really good looking. Why am I thinking about him being so good looking? And that's why I was like, oh, no, not mushy girl stuff. But it was. <laughs> it really it didn't get bad. into really mushy no, girl stuff territory. Not at all, which was surprising. And then basically, you learn her backstory, why she's on the planet, and he may have crashed there on purpose. Well, it says that right in the description. Oh, it does? It does. I did I did uh, read the description on Amazon, and it essentially says that. Oh, okay. But, I mean, yeah. that's such a minor... That's, like, basically the stepping stone to the rest, the bigger picture of the story. Yeah, that's true. Okay. That's true. Um, but, I mean, I re- it really surprised me. I thought it was an excellent, excellent retelling of the tale. It made it fresh. It made it new. And I think not not only will teens enjoy it, but I think, you know, some of us hardcore Disney nerds, obviously us, because we enjoyed it. Yeah. But I think they would they will appreciate this new take on this classic story. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, there's there's yeah. A, uh, it's it is sci fi fantasy. Um, there's a lot of computer programming talk, but not in a bad way. Yes. Obviously, a very strong female lead, which is fantastic to read a book with that. And. Uh, like Jeff said, visits different planets. There are lots of battle and fight scenes, which is pretty neat. Uh, R.C. Lewis, the author, did a fantastic job. Yes, putting these in perspective. So yeah, I agree. I think uh, if you if it sounds like you like sci-fi, space fantasies, you know, with a uh, you know, a little bit of Disney reference into it, I think you really like this one. I as agree. Well. I agree. I de- I think it's a definite recommend. Okay. So this week's book was Stitching Snow by R.C. Lewis. What we liked, what we didn't like, he's in the booze! 60-second review! So we got a double header for the 60-second review, so it's 120-second review this week. <laughs> so um, it's going to be like, like 10 minutes? Uh, yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> well, we try to keep it short because I know what, how long we've been rambling on already. Um, but we did get Blu-ray copies of Planes, Fire and Rescue, and... I'm going to let George say the name of the other one because I got yelled at the last episode that we talked about it on. So what is the name of the second one? Maleficent. Maleficent. Yes, Maleficent. Okay. Right? We've, we've been practicing it. Maleficent. During the breaks on the show, yes, Ma- yes. I have it written in front of me, spelled phonetically, <laughs> Maleficent. I'm going to call it uh, Angelina just for the rest of the review just so oh, I don't mess good. it up. That's good. Yeah, we can do it that way. Um, Wow. So let's, let's jump on to uh, discuss Maleficent, I think, first. Um, I didn't see this one in the theater. Nope, it, me either. Nope, uh, it came. I was kind of excited to see the review copy. I was like, oh, good, you know, finally get to see it. Um, my oldest son had his best friend spend the night with us, and he was very excited about seeing it for the second time. He had seen it in the theater. He had seen it in the theater, mm-hmm. and he was very excited to see it again. So I was like, okay, great. You know, let's all sit down as a family and watch this. And I didn't spend the whole time looking at my phone. But I also wasn't too involved in the whole movie as a whole. Yeah. So I remember when The Lone Ranger came out and the critics and some fans panned it and they said it was terrible. And then it showed up and I watched it and I thought it was great. And I was really, really hoping that Angelina was going to turn out the same way. 
And then I sat down and I watched it, and like 45 minutes in, I it was to the point where I was like, this movie has, it's not going to turn around at this point. It's just mm-hmm. not going to turn around. Yeah. Um, it's, I it's was based, disappointed. Yeah, whereas, you know, uh, Stitching Snow was a futuristic retelling of Snow White, this is looking at Maleficent's backstory. Uh, she's a fairy who apparently lost her wings, and you learn why she cursed Sleeping Beauty and why everything happened in the fairy tale and the animated film that we love so much and you still need to buy the animated film on Blu-ray. Yes, yes. Um, uh, I always love hearing backstories. I love hearing, you know, uh, the stories behind the characters, why they turned out the way they did. Often it's food for thought. This time it was sort Not. of a, yeah, it's, it was a, a fairy meets boy, loses boy, and then curses the world type story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, the 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 effects were really well done. Uh, you know, I thought the effects were fantastic. I watched the the making, how they did the the special effects. There's got to be something to redeem this. Something disc. positive about it. I mean, yeah, I was even kind of underwhelmed by some of the special features as well. I mean, yeah, they were supplementary. I mean, yeah, the the one how they did the effects was pretty cool, but all the other ones. Maybe it's just because I was bored by the film. I was bored by the special yeah. features as well. And uh, I don't know. I really wanted to like this film, guys. I really did. I promise. I did too. Yeah. It had so much potential. I think the redeeming quality for me was um, uh, uh, Diablo, correct? The her, Yeah, uh, yeah. Diablo was her familiar, I guess you the, could say. The crow. It was a crow that she transformed into, into a human and then all these other animals to do her bidding. Yeah. And you know, I thought, yeah, I thought he was a really standout character. He's the one I really liked yeah. the most. I, I didn't, I didn't fall in love with Sleeping Beauty. Well, like she was just I kind thought. of there. I thought too. Yeah. I'm yeah, not and, sure. I don't. And, and I was kind of distracted that Dolores Umbridge was one of the the fairies. Oh, as well. I know that was so bad. And the fairies looked so weird when they were small. Yeah, when they were small, they looked so when they were fairy weird. size, they were d- distractingly odd uh, CGI. Yeah. Uh, creations and I did not like that at all. <laughs> um, no, we didn't. no, we didn't. So, so this one's worthy of a rental, maybe if you're really curious to hear the other side of Angelina's story. Yeah, yeah. Question yeah, mark. I, I think it'll probably sh- it'll be one that shows up on Netflix. Probably. Yeah, I agree. So, so okay. uh, planes, fire, and rescue. Yeah, this this really surprised me. Remember when we said <laughs> that we had low expectations for everything, and then some movies surprise us. Yeah, this one really, you know, uh, we had reviewed the previous release of Planes, and to me it was just a rehashing of the car story, but with airplanes. But in the and, air. And I had a personal, not really an epiphany, but I couldn't stop watching the film going, okay, how did they make this? <laughs> if they're planes, and look at that poor dirigible, his body's hanging, okay, his face is, I, I couldn't get over it. Um, I sort of went into this with very low expectations. And really enjoyed it. It was funny. I laughed out loud for younger kids. I, I lulled several times. <laughs> I can't believe wow. you just said that. <laughs> oh, my, God. my boys walk around saying, I lulled. And I'm like, what? Uh, what? What does that mean? Hit me. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, I found it to be a much stronger film than the first one, to be honest with you. I liked the plot a lot better. I thought mm-hmm. the characters were well-rounded. I, I even thought the animation was better. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah um. Another- it's basically the, the, the lead character, the crop duster, uh, has a mechanical problem, sort of like you have a bum ticker. Not you, Jeff, but... I was general. like, who are you talking has, to me? Yeah, yeah, your doctor called him. Anyway, 
Um, but you know, and so he can't run races anymore. So he's got to find some other way of being helpful and wants to become a fire plane and help out. So it's it's sort of like a, a fish out of water story, but it's done really well. The well, dialogue. Plane, was I would good. say plane out of the air, but I mean. Yeah, plane out of the air. We don't want to say that. Yeah, no. that'd be kind of scary. But he basically has to learn to become the fire and rescue. Uh, become a cohesive team member and of course you've got the villains in the piece in a gigantic massive lodge <laughs> that's yeah like the wilderness lodge in old time that's when my skepticism came up and I was like wait a minute okay how do they get in the rooms oh the garage doors so basically the rooms are just garages that's weird and and they check in and there was a gift shop it was actually kind of cute once I got over. So, Regardless um, of all that, um, <laughs> I know I'm rambling about. <laughs> like, what are you even saying? I agree with all your points, but, um, but yeah, I I did actually wind up enjoying this one, which surprised me. And uh, I guess I, you know, to to end up this uh, 147 million second review of both these films, um, I would say this one, you you know, you should actually check out. I mean, it, it was surprising, it was charming, it was funny. Yeah. Um, check it out. And if you've got a kid who's into the entire Cars franchise, they're going to love this, and you're going to enjoy watching it with them. Yeah, As absolutely. opposed to, you know... To not watching it with them. Gouging your eyes out. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. for Angelina. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> Angelina on Blu-ray and Planes uh, Fire and Rescue on Blu-ray. Uh, maybe wait for one and then definitely check out the other one. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. When you're walking around Storbuck Circus at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, be sure to stop into Big Top Souvenirs. Inside, you'll find a bunch of places on the walls where fire extinguishers are kept. And there's a nice symbol on each one that says, Storbuck Circus Fire Department, Fire Extinguisher, Firehouse 5. Of course, this is a reference to the band, the Firehouse 5 Plus 2, which, as you know, was made up of quite a few ima uh, Imagineers and animators from the Walt Disney Studios. So, nice little hat tip to them, I thought. Yes, because they would wear fireman hats. They would wear well. fireman hats. Original Yay. fireman hats. Yes, yes, like uh, like Rory got to touch one. But we yes. That's fine, we'll, we'll leave it at that, because I was still too scared. That's right, Rory, um, we called you out. <laughs> I do love the Storybook Circus area. There's so many fantastic hidden details there in is. that place. And it's a great uh, to walk around and not get soaked. <laughs> oh, you mean because By of the, the Casey the Jr. Casey Jr. Splash Soaking Play Station that's right called. next door. Which does have some great five-legged goats in it as well, which we've covered on the show. We have, we have. <laughs> Including, that would be Dark Water. That would be Dark Water. Coming out of there. So, okay, before this gets any worse, I'm going to bring us into the ending of the show. Do it. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly. Please leave us a comment and give us a rating on iTunes. Again, we keep getting a couple more every week, so thank you for that. We appreciate that, guys and girls. Make sure you always uh, email us your comments at communicoreweekly at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear what you're thinking. And of course, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Weekly, where I'm always posting ridiculous things. There's, I think I posted like 17 times today. It's crazy. Maybe, it maybe that's even... too much. Maybe I'll, I'll tone back. Well, until people stop dropping, yes. stop unliking the page. That's true. That's true. Ah, okay, so uh, you can follow us both on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imagineerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, give us a call on the Communicore Weekly Goat Line at 424 785 
4628. We keep getting a lot of new voicemails recently too, so we definitely have to do a mailbag uh, show very soon. I'm sorry, sir, I don't remember your name, but someone from New Zealand keeps calling, and he keeps giving us some really cool information, and I just wanted to say thank you, but I totally forgot your name. I'm blanking on it at the minute, so this is a totally empty, <laughs> meaningless thing I'm saying right now, so I apologize. George, take it away. Okay, and uh, grab your copy of Communicore <laughs> Weekly, the musical, as soon as you can. You can pick it up at iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or listen to it for free on Spotify and Google Play. And of course, visit the Communa store at CommunicoreWeekly.com. Click on the store link, and you can buy some cool Communicore Weekly swag. For Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Crappie.